Punk Rock HR is brought to you by employee experience company Limeade, helping every employee know their company cares. Join us virtually for their annual conference, Limeade Engage, on March 9th. It's packed with tools, insights, best practices, and networking to drive well-being, engagement, and inclusion in 2021 and beyond. Head on over to Limeade.com to register today. Ultimately, for me, if I win, I win when I get an organization to say, we're going to evaluate DNI of every single employee in the organization. The biggest win for me in 2020 is I had three organizations say, we're going to evaluate, we're going to add to the performance evaluation some component around diversity and inclusion to every single employee. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman. Welcome to Punk Rock HR. Today's guest is Torin Ellis. He is a diversity, inclusion, and equity consultant based in Maryland, but he also happens to be one of the best keynote speakers I've ever seen in my whole entire life. Torin and I are friends from the speaking circuit, and in today's show, we talk about his work and why he's so passionate about fixing work, but we also talk about his why and I think that's just so fascinating when people get a little vulnerable, when they get a little quiet, and they tell you why they do what they do. So if you're interested in a conversation about moving the needle forward on diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, but you want to know why someone would do this as their life's work and what else is involved in a really interesting life, well, sit back and enjoy this conversation with Torin Ellis. Hey, Torin, welcome to the podcast. How are you? So I want to say that I love that you are working very, very hard. I like following you on Instagram. You are an absolute inspiration there. How am I? I mean, I'm good. I just feel like I feel like we have so much work to do here in America. And that work sometimes is disconcerting. Tell us about the work you do. Like, who are you and what are you all about? So married, father, grandfather, brother, elder of the family, advisor. Those are the personal things. Love drums, cigars, cognac, scotch. That's the personal side. Music, R&B, Raheem Devon. But on the professional side, a diversity strategist and a risk mitigator, a person who tries to agitate through an activist-like effort to challenge people to look at diversity and inclusion differently, to chase a narrative that is not common, not easy, not traditional, to push people to wrestle with what it means to be human. That's who I am. I love that you started with that human statement of who you are as an individual. I think so often we jump into these career identity statements that are often inaccurate or artificial or frankly predetermined by someone else, by our education, by a career that we don't necessarily want. But you started with the human. Is that intentional? Absolutely. It's intentional. And I think what's common for us to just go with the one or the predictable dimension. But that's why I said, you know, I want to challenge people to do the work that I am fond of differently. And so I think part of that challenge is being honest and authentic and being able to model that for other people. And so I absolutely want people to know that I'm more than just this professional, this consultant, this speaker, this podcaster, this person who was on Sirius XM, that I also have another side of me as well. 
I'm a fan of both sides, and I know that many of us do the work we do for reasons that are deep-seated within us. So tell me why you do the work you do. In 2011, I remember working on a search for an organization out of Virginia, and that organization is Thompson Hospitality. I was actually doing a transactional recruiting engagement for them with a focus on diversity and inclusion. And as a result of my making a series of phone calls, networking with people that I thought could refer me to different people. I ended up speaking with a white woman in Delaware. Just to get to the bottom line, the white woman called my client and said that she was going to lodge an EEOC or a discrimination complaint against me as the recruiter. And so Thompson Hospitality severed their relationship with me. Now on the surface, it sounds like, oh, well, what's the big deal? It was just another transactional search. What I'm not including in the story is the detail involvement, the relationship that I had with Thompson Hospitality. We were on the verge of establishing a multi-million dollar partnership, but because of that phone call from the woman who was really operating out of emotion and fragility, she caused me to lose a seven-figure opportunity. It was in that moment, Lori, that I said, I am going to absolutely focus on strategy around diversity and inclusion for the rest of my days in the human capital space. There's a lot of questions I think that listeners would have when you tell that story. How do you feel about it, telling that story today? When the call came from Thompson Hospitality and I knew it wasn't good, well, why am I getting an email saying that I need to talk to the legal person and someone in HR and the COO and CEO of the organization? I've never spoken with anyone like that. So when the call came, I literally sat at my desk for 30 minutes with my head in my hands and I couldn't move. I literally was like, I cannot believe what just happened. So when you ask me how I feel, I feel even more encouraged because I know that if in fact we are willing to have conversations that are of courage, that are a bit uncomfortable, if in fact we are willing to dial into something that is less than selfish, more inclusive, I think that we are better for that. And that's the fuel for me. I know it becomes disappointing. It becomes a bit challenging and laborious. I get emails like my demand generation team reaches out to organizations all across the country and one particular financial services organization, a pretty large bank in the uh, East, just simply said not interested. But I look at the leadership page, all white men. I look at the board of directors, all white men and one white woman. How is it that you are not interested in inclusion and representation? So that becomes a bit of a tiresome journey but it's a journey that I feel I must remain on. There are people out there that would say you're trying to fix a system and maybe it can never be fixed. Maybe it needs to be blown up, be destroyed. What's your position on that? Talk to me a little bit about rebuilding, resetting, or tearing it all down. Yeah, I think all of that is true. I mean, I'm not trying to fix a system. I'm really trying to optimize how people see diversity and inclusion. And if in fact it requires that we blow the system up, then so be it. One of the things that we absolutely must start with is the composition of our recruiting team. Who's telling the story? Who's the one sending that initial email saying, we want you to join our organization? Who's reaching out to the referrals that are coming through the various streams into your company? I feel like we should absolutely be telling a different story, but I also feel that 
the same way if I go to an historically black college or university campus. I'm going to look at the syllabus and the academic calendar. Like what is it that these undergraduates are going to learn? And is it something that corporate America is going to receive with welcome arms? Or are your undergraduate students being positioned in a way that's less than prepared, if you will? So I'm evaluating like every single aspect of what we call work life. Like, what does it take for us to get there? So I'm not the person who says that we should be fixing the system, Lori. I'm the person who says, let's do whatever is necessary so that we can show what is true to me. The ROI of DNI is greater humanity. How do you define this bucket of work that you do? What is it? What should people be striving for in their companies? I define it as bringing the unusual, unfamiliar, and unsuspecting together confident that we can hit the goals and objectives unafraid of our differences. That's the way that I define it. Someone else can define it in a way that suits them. I try not to get caught up in the definitions just as I don't get caught up in data or in charts. I don't get caught up in the semantics of the work. I'm just like, listen, none of us has the right answer. There is no fairy dust for this work. So if you like my definition, awesome. Let that resonate with you. If someone else's definition works for you, that's fine as well. I just want to see people committed to doing the work. And when I say committed, Lori, I'll just simply say that doesn't mean with perfection. It just simply means let's do the work. You're going to make a misstep. I remember standing in an audience in Detroit and saying to an African-American male, you're not black. Three words, three words. The rest of the presentation, the audience laughed, they were engaged, the reviews after the presentation were off the charts, everything was perfect. But those three words offended him. He checked out. He was not involved anymore. I made a mistake and I made it in a way that was very genuine, like it really was a joke for me and him. He didn't see it that way. So do I allow that to make me retreat from my speaking and delivering because I made a mistake? Absolutely not. And so I don't want people that are listening to feel like they have to operate with perfection. Be willing to make a mistake, own that mistake, and continue forward in being a better human. Well, there's this myth out there that people who are well-intentioned and make mistakes get canceled. Can you talk about that? It's not something that I subscribe to. That cancel culture, I think, is something that is probably a bit too applied. We did a show earlier this year, Lori, and I said one of the things that I want us to leave in 2020 is our fragility all the way around. And I used an example. There was a tweet that was put up and the person, I can't remember their first name, but their last name was YU. They were signing up for a particular platform and in entering in their last name, they would have to enter in a space or a third character because the system wouldn't allow them to move forward without at least three letters in the last name. They put up a tweet that said that that's racism. And because I didn't know the person, I wasn't going to get into their stream. That would have been a bit, to me, inappropriate. But I use it as an example. That's not racism. That's just a matter of a lack of inclusion, a lack of thought in the development team. That's where inclusion and representation are important. So if I have someone on the development team that recognizes that, boom, we go in and put the X's and the O's, the bits and the bytes, and we make that change. That's not racism. Don't co-op things that can be really, really detrimental. So I just want us to not be so quick to cancel people when people have good intentions. 
people will jump on a phrase because it seems to fit or it sounds right, but they really don't have an understanding of the phrase. Do you have a definition to help people understand the difference between racism and a lack of inclusion? How do you help people understand? Well, I think I helped them to understand the way that it was taught to me in one of the most powerful sessions that I've taken in my professional career. And it was a class titled Undoing Racism. And in that class, what they said was racism is power plus prejudice. So we all can operate with some degree of prejudice, or if you want to go with the familiar phrase of bias, that's fine. People try to make them synonymous, but you have to have power. And when I think about racism, I think about how racism shows up in banking and housing and agriculture and philanthropy and public policy and policing and can I get education? Do I need to go on workplace? I mean, I think about how racism shows up. So Torin, as a person with a prejudice, I'm not going to be able to really affect an entire system from coast to coast, border to border, just because I have a prejudice. Racism will be able to do that. Racism will cover all of that ground. Racism has held America hostage for far too long. I'll cite to you one problem. Citibank said that racism has cost the U.S. $16 trillion in GDP and that if we continue to do what it is that we are doing, we'll lose an additional $5 trillion over the next five years. And I say to people, do you need any more charts, any more graphs? Do you need any more examples? If we can't appeal to anything else, capitalism has always seemed to be important to most people. Can we at least use that report to reach you in a place that makes you say, you know what, I think we need to do this thing around hiring a little bit differently, around how we build education in our communities a little bit differently, about how we do policing, how we do public policy, how we show up in philanthropic efforts. I feel like that report should be the final report that people need to say, we've got to do something different. Hey everybody, Lori Rudiman here. With employee burnout on the rise, engagement faltering, and productivity wavering, companies are turning to HR to re-engage the workforce and create a more positive employee experience. That's why I'd like you to join me for Limeade Engage, the virtual event of the year for HR and company leaders. Limeade Engage kicks off on March 9th with speakers like Lennon Doyle and Ali Love of Peloton and me. I've been twice and it was terrific. Be inspired to take the lead to elevate the employee experience. Gain the tools and insights to apply Limeade research and industry best practices to your own organization and connect with your peers as we navigate 2021 and beyond together. The difficulties of 2020 have taught us a lot about the importance of a great employee experience. Now it's your chance to put these learnings to work and create a strong employee experience that drives real business results. Sign up for Limeade Engage at Limeade.com. That's Limeade.com and I'll look forward to seeing you there. I love your faith in individuals in the talent function to be able to affect some change, but I don't know, man, I'm not so confident about recruiters being the inflection point into moving an organization forward. So can you talk to me about why you've chosen to kind of take that vector and work with talent teams to affect change? It's where we start. I am working very hard over the last 18 months to take my messaging to different platforms and 
to different audiences. Someone asked me several months ago, Lori, well, what do you see as greatness? I said, 20 years from now, I want people to say that Torin changed the way we looked at diversity and inclusion. I want to be on stages with former presidents. I'd like to be able to sit in rooms with executives and they're saying, thank you. We absolutely appreciate the way that you have approached this work, this conversation, and we are all better for that. And again, am I Pollyannish in the sense of my faith in humanity? A bit. Or around the Citibank report? A bit. But I do want to take the conversation in much different places. I want to be with Ellen DeGeneres. I just don't want to be in talent acquisition. We had to start somewhere. And imagine, Lori, how hard it has been to convince TA teams CHROs and executives to even bring me in to speak, to work, to do whatever. Now you're trying to take this conversation on in general. It's a very hard lift. We have a social platform that I've been trying to get in front of their chief diversity officer for almost two years. And I said, if I can get to that individual, maybe they can help me get to the product development team because I have a solution that I think will help the platform as it relates to inclusion and representation, something that will hit every profile on the platform. I've been trying to get to that person for two years. It's hard to get outside of the place where we start. Some people would say you can't be a prophet in your own land. I'm trying to get outside of my own land. Anywhere you start is going to be a challenge. You're starting with TA teams. You'd start with marketing. You'd also have your own challenges. So Torin, I would love to learn more about this product that you were just talking about. In 2015, 2016, I had reached out to Glassdoor and I had a representative, I had a connection inside of Glassdoor and I wanted them to add a DNI component to the platform. My request fell on deaf ears. You see what they just did in the last four or five months. In the last two years, I've been trying to reach out to LinkedIn because I want them to adopt the blue check system from Twitter. Let's verify platforms that have displayed or exhibited inclusive and supportive efforts around diversity and inclusion and equity and belonging. I want to know who those people are. I want to know even if Lori is not in TA, but Lori happens to be an admin assistant or someone in supply chain, or you happen to work in a warehouse, you might even be a person that works at 7-Eleven behind the counter. I'd like to know that when I look at your profile, are you a person who supports inclusion and representation. And I can't get LinkedIn to respond so we can explore adding that to their product roadmap. You would think that with all the corporate dollars being spent on marketing and employer branding, they would get excited about that idea. Well, I'm happy to help evangelize it because I'm a fan, man. I think that's really, really smart. Thank you. When you go around and do the work that you do, can you describe a little bit about how you interact with TA departments or what you're speaking about? So from a consulting standpoint, I work one of two ways. I'll either come through the bottom of the organization, which I consider to be talent acquisition, and we really play around inside of that entire ecosystem and we try to uncover and then optimize what it is that they are, are not doing to support diversity and inclusion efforts. And when we say the ecosystem, you know that that TA ecosystem is pretty broad. So we spend some time there. Or I'll come from the top down, Lori, and I'll work with leadership and I will challenge leadership to pull that tranquilizer of pause out of their forearm. And I'm really going to challenge them around how is it that you can do a better job of modeling that interest, that critical value around diversity and inclusion so that it cascades down through the organization. Ultimately, for me, if I win, I win when I get an organization to say, 
we're going to evaluate DNI of every single employee in the organization. So people ask me, you know, Tom, well, what are you most excited about in 2020? It was a tough year. We don't need to relitigate it. The biggest win for me in 2020 is I had three organizations say, we're going to evaluate. We're going to add to the performance evaluation some component around diversity and inclusion to every single employee. That's the consulting side. From the speaking side, it's really around just challenging the audience, whomever is there, from the C-suite down to the janitor, who was ever in attendance, challenging each and every one of them. This is very same. You have a role to play. What's your role in this mission? If the company is putting up that DNI is important, then what are you doing to support that? So I will challenge leaders to make a declarative statement. I will challenge them to put money in a black bank. I will challenge them to reallocate resources around headcount and around dollars. And fourth but not least, I will challenge leaders to hold everyone accountable. I will challenge employees to think about how they are volunteering and submitting themselves to employee resource groups. But I try to bring a message that says we can have fun and it could be promising, if you will. It's got to be a message that kind of comes together so that it hits the ear and the heart of every single person that's in attendance. What's COVID been like for your speaking business? Because man, it's hard enough to get good speaking engagements anyway. I mean, it's a very crowded, noisy market, although you do well. You are a tremendous speaker. But, you know, competition is there. And now, with all of these events going virtual, the market's different. Yeah, I don't have any competition when it comes to diversity and inclusion. I'm absolutely the best DNI speaker on the planet. I can attest to that. Absolutely. I'm very, very specific as it relates to what it is that I do. I don't try to speak on leadership or motivation or inspiration, although we can touch on those things. I am going to make you wrestle with the DNI conversation. And as it relates to COVID, my business from the speaking side doubled last year. Like I actually thought that I would speak less. Typically, I do 15 to 20 presentations a year. Last year, we clocked in 51. Now, here's one of the reasons why I believe I did well in COVID is because I'm not lazy. I think a lot of people got lazy because they are at home. But when I'm speaking and an organization is making an investment, I'm standing up. I have on professional lights. I have my studio mic. In some of these engagements, Lori, I've rented a place to go and film and I bring in my film guy. I bring in my camera young lady. I make sure that we are giving them the presentation that we would give them if we were there in person. So organizations understand that when they make this investment, they are getting the absolute best and not a person who is lazy. So did you actually have to go out and make an investment on new tools and different cameras? You talked about renting out spaces. What was that like for you? Yeah, no, I absolutely had to make an investment. And one of the inspirations for making that investment was Craig Fisher. I was on a Zoom something with him and I said, your camera looks a whole lot different than mine. And I think at that particular point, I had probably done a couple of Zoom meetings, conversations, and I knew that his camera setup was different, but I forgot about it. And when I saw that in like early March or April, I can't remember what it was. I immediately went out and got a high def camera. I ordered studio style lights. I've purchased now three different cameras, one a DSLR. I don't know how to use it as efficiently as I'd like, but I have it. The point is I've made an investment. We won't talk about how much money I spent, but I absolutely spent some money because I felt like if we're going to be in this posture, I want to make sure that I am giving people every single thing that they expect out of investing in me. 
I never want to show up lazy. I never want to show up as if your event was not important to me. They are always important. Well, I love that you show up and give it 110% because what you're really asking people to do is to do the work and show up 110% themselves anyway. So it makes sense if you want something from someone, you demonstrate it as well. You're leading by example. So what has the response been this year? Because you know, we not only had COVID happening, but we had all sorts of social movements happening as well. So I'm not surprised to hear that you were in demand. You can speak on a panoply of issues. What's the audience been like? Are they genuinely interested in doing the work? Going back to the example around the three organizations where they made the change in performance evaluations, I would say that most of the time, if I'm brought in, the organization is serious about the work. And part of that reason, Lori, is because I am going to absolutely charge more than a Happy Meal from your local restaurant. So if, in fact, you are willing to invest the way that I feel you should invest for the quality and type of work that me and my team are going to bring, then it would be foolish of you to not implement what it is that we are encouraging you to do. So I am going to say that for most of my engagements in 2019 and in 2020, organizations and individuals have been serious. I will say that I've worked with some very large companies and in 2017 and 2018, I wouldn't have necessarily said that. I know of organizations where I've given them the solution, the implementation, and I know today that they're still not doing it or or did not do it. In 2019, 2020, I feel more confident in people's dedication to saying that they want to do better and then doing better. You know, the more you become successful in your own right, and you've experienced this tour, and the more you can also be selective about the speaking engagements and the clients that you take on and the work that you do. And I think there's a real lesson in running your business with integrity and being able to be selective in your energy and your time and your attention. You don't have to say yes to everything. You can say no to some things. What do you say no to? Well, I say no when I feel like an organization really is simply checking a box. I'll give you an example. I can't tell you how many times last year people reached out and said, well, we want you to come in and do an unconscious bias training. And I say to them two things. One, I'm not a trainer. Two, what else are you doing to complement that starting point? Well, that's all we're doing. Well, I absolutely say no. I say no because of those two reasons. So I have no problem saying no to organizations that are not really serious about building a comprehensive solution. I say no to organizations that feel like they are going to be a bit resistant or reticent to my transparency. Like I'm not a shrinking violet. So I have no problem calling out a thing. You know, I have no problem absolutely making them face the reality of what it is that they are or are not doing. And I don't do that with animus. I don't do it in a way that props me and my solutions on a pedestal. It's none of that. I operate out of love and process. And so if that truth is something that you can't absorb or you can't deal with, you just want a person to placate and to continue to massage your mediocrity, I'm not the guy for you. As we wrap up the conversation today, I want to know, what would you do if you weren't doing this work? 
So there's two things. I think I said it in the beginning. My favorite artist right now and has been since 2003 is Raheem Devon. He sings more love ballads. And if I weren't doing this work, I'd be in the entertainment space. I'd like to be like an A&R person that traveled around the world and found incredible singers. I think the second thing that I'd like to do, and I'm trying to do it now, literally, I'm trying to start a custom hat business. I love wearing hats and not this type of a hat, but fedoras. I haven't had the success that I, I've wanted to have in it. I've, I wanted to start it August 28th of last year. COVID kind of impacted that. So I'm now on this journey of trying to identify a, an incredible hat maker that can bring my vision to life. I think it's so interesting because once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. And so when I talk to fellow entrepreneurs, they always have something else going on the side. Either they're taking classes or they've got a side hustle to their side hustle. You know, it's just so fascinating. So I love that you confirmed what I assume that you always got something else going on too. So I think the other thing that I'll share with you, you know, I revealed the piece around LinkedIn. I want to do a DNI book and I'm trying to do this DNI book, not for selfish gain. I actually want to do this DNI book sell it for $1 and all of the proceeds go to the Orly Cancer Research Foundation. I want to see if I can sell a million copies of this diversity and inclusion book so that we can raise a million dollars for that beautiful sister down in Atlanta, Georgia, who is trying to find a cure for cancer. So there's always something creative that I'm trying to do when, again, going back to the question around TA, I don't want to be in TA. I want to be inside of your house, on your couch, sitting next to you. You have nothing to do with building teams, but you have everything to do with being a better human. Well said and a wonderful way to end this conversation today, Torin. If people are curious about getting to know you, hearing you, seeing you, where should they go? At Torin Ellis across all of social media. And I guess you can find the podcast at crazyintheking.com. Again, my friend, it was so good to see you today. Thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you for having me and trusting my voice. Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Punk Rock HR, sponsored by Limeade Engage. Learn how to build an employee experience for what comes next. Join me for LimeateEngage.com on March 9th, the virtual event of the year for HR and company leaders. Head on over to Limeade.com to register today. Now that's all for this week's show, and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Punk Rock HR.